The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. Next week, we're going to begin our new series on, uh, in the book of First Peter. I'm really excited about that. But what we're doing the first two weeks of this year is we're just really stopping uh, where we are and, and we're, we're taking some time to imagine what kind of church that God has called us to be. What kind of church has God called us to be, or really what kind of church has God called everybody, every church to be? And we're taking it from Acts 2, 42 through 47, which Tyson read for us this morning. And we talked about last week how really Acts 2, 42 through 47 is, it's, it's located here in the book of Acts right after the day of Pentecost when the, uh, the Holy Spirit falls upon believers and uh, Peter preaches the first sermon and 3,000 people become uh, Christians on the very first day of the Christian church. And, and then we had this passage talking about like, what did the pattern of life look like in this very early church, in this baby Christian church? And, and the reason that it's here is to describe obviously what it's like, but it also provides a sort of acid test. It, it gives us as believers uh, a a DNA stamp for who it is that we really are and what it is that we're called to do. And, and so we don't forget what is our actual heritage. So really what we're ma- imagining this morning is we're imagining if our church pursued all that God has called us to. And I've been thinking about this the past few weeks. It, it kind of hits me like, isn't it so crazy how we so often settle for lesser things, right? I mean, so we're almost two weeks into the new year and you know we all had uh, you know some sort of uh, decision about how we're going to change our diet or our relationships or our money and and the reason that we always have new resolutions and new plans on how to tackle those things is because we we recognize that we're settling for lesser things and all those right like isn't it so crazy how like I can be in in the middle uh, of eating something very bad, and I'm thinking, this is really bad for me. This is eventually going to kill me one day if I keep on doing this, and yet you just keep right on doing it. Or you're in the middle of a relationship with a parent or a friend or a spouse, and you're like, hey, this is, we are, we are literally right now going through the same path that we always go. Like, hell, then I yell, and then we don't talk for two hours, and it's like, we just repeat it, but yet we know, like, we're on repeat, but yet we just sort of settle for lesser things. Isn't that crazy? And we do that with church. When we read here in Acts 2, 42 through 47, and not just here, but through the rest of the book of Acts, and not just confined to Acts, but when we read and hear about the history of the church, and not just in history, when we hear about what God is doing through the gospel all over the world right now, isn't it crazy how we can settle for lesser things? How we consider like success for church is like, hey, I, sh- I showed up today. Uh, hey, I actually made it here. Or, hey, I threw in a few minutes of volunteer. Or, I actually sang along today. Or, I like the songs, and so I raised my hand, you know, half mass. Like I'm sitting on the Jamin, like I kind of like this song. And then this song I really like. You know, like, like what do we settle for in terms of what, what a success is as a church? Isn't it so crazy how we settle for lesser things. Last week we talked about how the distinguishing characteristic of the Christian church is the presence of God in and among his people. That is the distinguishing characteristic of the Christian church. There are many things that that distinguishes the set us apart. But the thing that no one else claims and no one else can copy is that we as believers say and we experience that Jesus Christ 
when we confess him as Lord, we bow our knee to him, that he actually comes to dwell within us personally and that he dwells among us as a people. We talk about how each person, each Christian is a walking container of God's presence. Where if, wherever you go, if you are a believer, you are a carrying God's presence into whatever situation you are going in. Well, that would make, like, change some of the situations that we go in, right? But it would certainly change the way that we view certain situations, right? Like tomorrow morning when you go to work, you're not just going to work. You're going to work and Jesus Christ is going into your workplace. When you are arguing with your spouse, Jesus Christ is there in that argument with your spouse with you. When you are talking with your neighbor, whenever you're watching a, a great football game, like Jesus Christ is there in your midst and with you. And together, not only are we individually carriers of God's presence, but together we, he's taken you and me and you and you and he's building us together to be a living temple of God's presence on earth. That's what the church is. Shouldn't that change the way that we think about church? Not just uh, the things that we do, but the, who we are and what this is, and yet we see whenever the, the believers here in Acts knew that God's presence was with them and in them, it says in verse 43 that awe came upon every soul or fear. It's a picture of God's presence in their midst. There was a sense of awe at God's presence and his work, and that was the mark of God's presence in their life as their great treasure. When we see that, it turns our daily tasks of life into holy moments. It turns the mundane things that we do into sacramental acts or holy acts for God. And where God is, things happen. You hear that? So we see a lot of activity in verse 42 through 47. They've devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayers. And there were signs and wonders. They were all together and had all things in common. They uh, went from uh, house to house and day by day in the temple. They broke bread and they had glad and generous hearts. They praised God and they had favor with all the people. There's a lot of actions going on. And where all that comes from is God's presence moving in their midst. And this morning, we're going to key in on people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. Imagine, just imagine for a moment, okay? Imagine a church that the Lord adds to daily, those who are being saved. What would that be like? If you've been around church a while, you may think, well, that's a cool pipe dream, Mr. Preacher Guy. Like, that happened back then, but it's almost like it becomes a fable to us, isn't it? Like, we read, like, 3,000 people were added on one day, and then the Lord was adding to their number daily, and then we see that Peter and John run across this uh, lame beggar on their way to the temple, and he is healed, and then 5,000 people become believers on that day, and we see, like, I mean, you may as well be seeing, like, Miss Muffet sat on a tuffet, right? Like, it's just, like, it's so crazy for us to think about. Like, it belongs to some sort of fable or some, becomes some sort of history back then, and God doesn't do that kind of thing now. But just imagine what it would be like if that was available to us as a church. 
So this morning, let's imagine a church that the Lord adds, adds to daily. And let's ask these three questions, just for all you skeptics in the house. Uh, what does it matter? Why would we want it? And should we even expect it? What does it matter if the Lord adds to our number daily, those who are being saved? Why would we want it? And then thirdly, should we even expect that he would do that? First of all, what does it matter? Well, why does it matter if the Lord adds to our church daily, right? Uh, isn't that just some sort of like ego trip for the leaders? That's what I would kind of think, right? And, and honestly, sometimes it is. I'll be 100% honest with you, like the fewer empty chairs I see in here, I am prone to think the more the successful the day was. And it's so easy for me, like if I preach a bad sermon, but the place is like fuller, like I feel a lot better about myself. That's just the, the way that I tend to be put on the hook. But that's not what this is about. This is not about me feeling better about the number of people are in a church or so that Dale can impress somebody at work and telling them what the attendance is. Or maybe you think like, hey, I like a church that's like this size. That's why I'm here. Because I was at a big church before and I like a smaller church. I, I like being able to know what's going on or know everybody that's here or mostly everybody that's here. And it feels comfortable. Though the reason it matters, we see here in verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day or daily those who are being saved. Now, if, if you're a Christian, if you've been around this thing for a while, it's easy to run over that word. We, we hear the word, say the word saved or salvation a million times. And it's easy to sort of run over that word and not really think about what it's saying. But think about it for a second. For someone to be saved means that they were in grave peril. It means that they, they were in grave peril. For someone to be saved means that someone came and that, 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 that they actually, first of all, that, that before someone came, that they were in peril and that they needed help in that peril. They could not help themselves. And then thirdly, it means that someone or something came along and offer, offered salvation or safety from that grave peril that they were in. To be saved, it means to be saved from something, and it means to be saved to something. It means to be saved from something. It means to be saved to something. Think about this. Like, before we run on anywhere else, why would it matter if we, why would we even care if the Lord adds to our number day by day those who are being saved unless they are under the threat or, or the promise of eternal damnation? Now, that's not a word that we like to say very often today because it sounds very judgmental. And it, it, it is. And it is hard sometimes to roll off the tongue. But the truth is, if you're a believer, you believe that by nature and by choice that every single person is an enemy of God. And that by nature, we are all, every single one of us are children of wrath. We are in need of salvation. If you're a believer, you believe that we're, someone is in need of salvation, they're under damnation and that they are racked and trapped by sin. Have you ever tried to really improve yourself? I'm not talking about like a diet or some exercise, but to really change, like your, you know, like your, like your deadly sins, the things that you know are really gonna break you apart, your family apart, your marriage apart, it's gonna wreck your life. Have you ever really tried to change yourself at core? You can't do it. 
It is impossible for us to deeply change ourselves to the core of who we are because we are racked by and under the curse of and trapped by sin. And because of that, we are under eternal damnation from God. We are trapped in isolation. By nature, because we've been cut off from our creator, we are isolated from him. But you know what that does as well? That isolates us from each other. That's why our relationships are always falling apart. That's why our relationships are unraveling at the edges. Why we can never seem to make things work for very long. Because by nature, we are isolated because we are separated from God and we are so tuned into, so programmed to look out for our own best interests that we can't possibly break out of that to actually be humble enough to look for the best interests of others around us. And so therefore, we are always isolated because we're always looking out for number one. Separated from our creator and separated from those even that we love, those that surround us. If someone's in need of salvation, they are racked by sin, they are trapped by sin, they are under damnation, they are isolated, they're trapped in dark, darkness and hopelessness. But here's the cool thing about salvation, is it recognizes here's where you are, but you can be saved to something else. Salvation is the beautiful, amazing, like, crazy offer from God of free grace, nothing that you can earn, where he comes along and he says, in place of your sin, in place of your damnation, in place of your isolation, in place of your hopelessness, I offer you an opportunity for justification to make it just as if you had never sinned, to cleanse your record absolutely and utterly. I offer you the, op the opportunity of new life, I offer the opportunity to experience the life that you were made to live in union with God who created you and for whom you're created to give you a chance to live life not racked by your own sin, not racked by your own selfishness, not isolated, but united to Christ, you adopted by God and made a child of God just as in, this, in a crazy way that Jesus is the son of God, we become daughters and sons of God as well. We, the Bible calls Jesus the elder brother of those of us who are believers. And everything that he, all the honors and privileges that he gets as the son of the almighty creator God, you and I as believers are entitled to. Isn't that amazing? What you are saved from. It's like you're saved from a million degrees below zero and you're taken a million gabillion above. It's, it's, it's unimaginable what is offered. You're saved to adoption. You're saved to heaven. You're saved for union to Jesus, you're saved to Jesus, you're saved for Jesus, and you're saved by Jesus. Can you imagine? That is what salvation is, saved from something to something else. And here's how that happens, and this is the beautiful view. I would say, all right, I'll offer this, but you guys, uh, you gotta do like some sort of like obstacle course, you gotta do some like some exams, you gotta really prove yourself and make yourself up here, but we had no ability to do that, and so Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life, died a perfect death on our behalf. How does salvation happen? It happens by hearing the good news or the gospel of who Jesus was and what he did on our behalf and believing it. Free. That's the gospel. 
The gospel is the good news of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. The gospel, I love this summary of the gospel. The gospel is this. The gospel, the truth is that you are far worse off than you ever thought that you were. Isn't that good news? The good news is you are far where like your worst day when you think, man, I am such a jerk, I am terrible, like the world should just cave in on me, rocks should fall upon me, I'm the worst ever. Guess what? You're worse than that. But here's the back of that. But yet in Christ, you are far more loved than you ever dared to dream. You are far more accepted than you could ever have hoped. That's the gospel. And there is no other source or hope from salvation from our mess. This mess that we're stuck in down here, there's a hope of salvation and there's no other way except free grace. And why would we want another way? And this is the purpose of the gospel to save people. Isn't that really cool? God's not like, you know, Sometimes I, 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 Landon loves to wrestle me. He's my eight-year-old son. He, he loves to wrestle. And uh, at least as of right now, I always have the upper hand. And I'll be honest with you. I know I'm 41. I know I'm five times bigger than he is. But sometimes it's just enjoyable to kind of push a little kid around. He, he's really tough, and he keeps coming back. And you know, I can pin him down. I can hold him back like this. And like I know I'm not really doing anything. But yet it kind of strokes my ego a little bit. And it, But God doesn't offer salvation to us like that. He offers it to us freely for the purpose of saving us. And that's the power of the gospel. To save anyone, anywhere, no matter what they have done. This morning, if you're here and you're not a believer, or you're checking this thing out, that's the good news for you. The power of the gospel of who Jesus was and what he did on your behalf to save you from yourself, from damnation to himself, that there's power in that gospel to save you no matter what you've done, no matter where you are. And what we see in Acts 2, 42 through 47, what we see in the rest of Acts and what we see all through history of the history of the church is the result of the gospels. Why Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power, hear that, the power of God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being able to have the power of God at your fingertips? Maybe to have the power of God within your very words themselves. What is the, where is the power of God? It is in the gospel, for it is the power of God to save, to, for salvation for everyone who believes. So why does it matter that people are added to the church? Eternity matters. Everything matters. And it is simple as the gospel being shared, believed. And God works within that to change people's lives. That's what Christian was talking about. I've seen it over and over again. If you're a believer, you've experienced it. The gospel came to you, you believed it, and your life was changed. It doesn't mean that everything You know, you're perfect after that, certainly not. We are growing in Christ, but yet you were changed. 
How many of you guys have seen it in your family, in your friends, someone who you thought had no hope, that you had given up on, and then one day you get a phone call, hey, I just want to tell you, I'm a Christian now, I'm going to church, or you see it in your family, you're like, what just happened? Like the person changes right in front of your eyes, it's the purpose and it's the power of the gospel. It's amazing. So it seems kind of rhetorical now, I hope, but why would we want it? What does it matter? Well, eternity matters, but why would we want it? Well, why would we want to see the Lord add to our number day by day or daily those who are being saved? And again, I'll go back to this, a couple of questions. How do we judge success as a church? If I were to ask most of us in this room that are part of DOXA, or been part of DOXA for a while, say, how are things going at DOXA? We would generally say, hey, uh, it's going good, um, growing as a believer, got some friends, we're really growing as a believer, we live in community together, like I went through a really hard thing a few months ago and they, you know, they really stuck with me and prayed with me and actually cared for me physically. Uh, you know, we, we would kind of give answers like that. What is a successful Sunday? How do we judge by what happens all here that some of you guys come at 7.30 and set up and tear down the band practices and you know, all the work that goes into this every single week? Like, How do we judge whether that was worth it showing up this week or not? How do we judge a successful week as we scatter out of here and we go to our homes and our workplaces and we live life during the week? What does the life of a successful, growing believer look like? Here's what it looks like. It looks like a church that is in awe of God's presence in them and among them. And through that, they see that the Lord adds to their number day by day or daily those who are being saved. And here's why we would want it. Because by doing so, by participating, by participating in that work, we are participating in God's work in creation. Don't, if you're a believer, don't, don't you really want in your soul like, to really be, participate with your Father in the work that he is doing? Don't you really want to be about what God is doing? Like yesterday, uh, we were, you know, we're a little bit behind the curve, we were putting up Christmas, and uh, nobody really wanted to do it, but we started to do it, and Landon didn't want to do it, but uh, he and I, we were taking stuff up to the attic, and, and we started talking about things, and he, he didn't want to take things up the stairs or then into the attic, but he wanted to do it because he was doing it with me. And don't you want to participate with your dad, your heavenly dad, in the work that he is doing in creation? And what does that work? He is at work to save those who are lost, to call his children home. Hear this. I'm going to look at this phrase a little bit. The Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Look at that word. Who added? The Lord added. So who caused the growth in this church? Was it uh, Peter's great preaching? Was it the cool band that they had? Was it the cutting-edge children's ministry? Was it some sort of laser light show that they did? Was it an 
egg drop. Like, I'm not knocking any of those things that you may or may not have, that we or may not have, but was it those things that added to the number day by day, those who are being saved? No, the Lord added to their number day by day, those who are being saved. It's the Lord that causes the growth. Why is that significant? Well, it's significant because, number one, it was by the Lord's power. It didn't rest upon Peter's power. And if we're going to see that in our church, thank God it doesn't rest upon my power or your power or your intellect or our, like, edginess, Dale, because, like, we're going to be up the creek on that. Like, it rests upon the Lord moving and adding to our number day by day those who are being saved. And because it's all by the Lord's power, then guess who gets all the glory? The Lord gets all the glory. If we're going to see that here in our midst, if the Lord adds to our number day by day, those who are being saved, we're not going to be celebrating Doxo. We're not going to be celebrating Randy. We're not going to have like pictures of me on your t-shirts or on a billboard. No knock if you do, but we're going to be having Jesus on our shirts and Jesus on our billboards because it is by him and it's for him alone. And it's, so he gets the glory and guess what? That takes a tremendous amount of pressure off my back and off yours. The Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. It didn't produce converts to a church. It produced converts to Jesus. It didn't produce cheerleaders for a church. It produced cheerleaders for Jesus. It produced people who were excited, not because they loved their church, but because they loved their Savior who loved them first, and therefore they loved his church. The Lord added to their number day by day, and the Lord added. The young church grew. It was something that they celebrated and that they recorded. Do you notice that? Earlier in Acts 2, Peter preaches the gospel, and it says 3,000 people responded that day and were baptized. Then it says here, at this period of time, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So it was a regular stream of people coming in. And then coming up right behind here, then Peter and John on the way to the temple that blame beggar is healed and 5,000 people became believers. They tracked it. They recorded it. They celebrated it, not because they thought, hey, Peter's awesome or anybody else is, but because God is. And for them, it was a sign that God was in their midst. I mentioned it last week. You don't have a church that has a sense of awe at his presence in them and among, their, among them without it also resulting in the Lord adding to their number day by day those who are being saved. And you will not have a church that the Lord is adding to day by day those who are being saved that does not have a sense of awe about it. You might have a church that adds to its, you might have a church that adds to its number day by day. But you, may, you will not have the church that, at the, that experiences the Lord adding to their number day by day what those that are being saved. To what were they being added? Think about this. They were being added to God's family on earth. They're not just added to some organization, not adding to some meeting. They were, be adding, they were being added to God's family on earth. 
So they experienced, out of isolation, experienced adoption with the Father, fellowship with believers who were fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And by doing so, they were showing people on the outside who are not yet believers what the family of God looked like. That's why Jesus said, you'll know them. They'll know you're my disciples by what? Your love for one another. That will be a signal to them that there's something different here. They were being added to God's family on earth. They were being added to God's new community on earth. Uh, uh, where a people inside this new community, saved by God, now began to think differently about the way that they did business, about the way they did family, about the way they did marriage, about the way they parented, about the way they even handled their money. A people who radically thought differently about the way that they did life. And so they experienced this new fullness of life as they thought differently. And then the people, again, on the outside looked in and said, wow, there's something different there that's being demonstrated to us. They're being added to the group of people who gave witness to God. That's what we are called to do as believers. We simply give witness. We just tell people, look, this is who Jesus was and is, and this is what he did, and this is who he was and is to me and what he has done and is doing in my life. They were being added to a, a church that represented a diversity in backgrounds and a diversity in social status. All of a sudden, there were people who had more in common in Christ than they had not in common, even though they were from vastly different backgrounds and colors and races eventually and even socioeconomic status right now. That's why we see they shared, distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. They were sharing back and forth. Those who had more cared for those who had less to make sure that they had enough. As they were being added, a greater number of gifts and talents and passions were being added to the church so that that the church greater represented the diversity of passions and gifts and abilities that are found in Jesus Christ. As they grew, as they were being added, they were being added to a counterculture that stood out in the society at large and yet were being respected by the people around them. Later on in Acts, it says the people around them held them in awe or held them in fear. There was something different about those Christians, and yet it also says they had favor with them. It's an amazing thing. The Lord added, the Lord added day by day or daily those who are being saved. We see here the Lord adds in chunks 3,000 here, 5,000 here, more later on as the gospel starts to spread across the world. But then he also added in daily life. So when you see here, it says they met together in house to house and in the temple. You see these small gatherings and you see them distributing through life as they break bread in their homes and receive their food with glad and generous hearts. That's just regular everyday life, but also then they would gather in large meetings where the gospel would be proclaimed to more people. And they saw people come to the Lord in both places. They saw people come in in large chunks and they saw them come in everyday life. And wouldn't that be awesome? If you regularly saw in your life, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your coworkers, in your classmates, people around you in daily life that you that you hang around suddenly had blind eyes opened, suddenly were from, went from dead to finding life, and you saw the Lord add day by day those who are being saved from the people that you are around day by day. Isn't that what we want to be a part of? 
Isn't that what we want to be about? I'll be honest. If tomorrow, well, I guess not tomorrow, but if next Sunday a thousand people showed up here, I would, I, I mean, that's great. But if that's all that we ever got, we're just shuffling the deck. The thing that would excite me, the reason I'm signed on for this, the reason I pushed all my chips in and said, I am in for this thing, is because I want to see the Lord add to our number day by day, those who are being saved. I want to see the Lord open the eyes of my neighbors on Golden Stone Drive. I want to see the Lord work in the lives of people that I pass every day that I interact with in restaurants and the grocery store. I want to see him move in the houses that I drive past on the way here that are, have no other reason to live in Myrtle Beach except searching for the endless summer. So imagine a church, imagine our church that is, experienced salvation, that is experiencing salvation stories daily. That's a goal that I have for our church. That's a goal I hope that it wouldn't just be my goal. I hope it would become all of our goals to pray for and to seek things. Lord, would you make this verse true of us? It may not happen tomorrow or next week, but God, would you bring us to a place that we are experiencing? Imagine a church that is experiencing that. I, uh, a church that I was a part of uh, growing up is somewhere in the, uh, right before I graduated high school or right after, it experienced a smaller church, but experienced this like 10-month, 12-month window where God really moved in amazing ways. And this church grew by 40%. And, and at the end of the year, when they were looking like, wow, what happened? Somebody went back and they they looked at all the professions of faith that had through the year and said, hey, we've had over 365 professions of faith this year. We got to see where the Lord added to our number daily those who are being saved. And I long to see that for our church and not just over a few months stretch of time so we can swell our numbers. I long to see that for the eternity that will change in those people's lives, and I long to see that for the effect that we'll have on the Myrtle Beach area as people around us, not just at Doxa, but across the church landscape in Myrtle Beach, experience new life. People come to know him, and they, the people around us see this new community and God's family in Myrtle Beach. I hope that becomes our goal. Imagine a church, imagine our church with a central place to call home. Uh, for ever since we've been here in River Oaks, I've said we'll be at River Oaks until we outgrow it or they kick us out. And, and that's kind of generally been true. Uh, but the, the truth is that if we want to be a church that the Lord adds to daily those who are being saved, then we're going to have a, a lot of ways that we're going to have to serve them. We're gonna have, there's going to be a lot of 
classes and opportunities that we're going to have to offer through the week. We're going to have to offer a central communal place where they can come and be a part of life at Docs. We're going to have to offer them a place on Sundays where they don't feel like they have to rush out or because we have to tear down this whole thing afterwards, like all the man hours that goes that go into setting up and tearing down this place every week. If we could reapportion that to like person-on-person ministry, think of what could happen. Imagine a church that the Lord adds to daily and that has a central place to call home so we can better accommodate those people. We can better provide a home for them. We can, when we say welcome home, we know that the, a building is not home, but it provides a fixed place for them to identify with. Imagine a church that's experiencing salvation stories daily with a central place to call home and imagine a church that plants a church within three years. Here in the Myrtle Beach area, in order to better make Jesus non-ignorable in Myrtle Beach. That's our, that's our goal. We want Jesus to be non-ignorable in the Myrtle Beach area. And that doesn't mean that they just come to us. That means we go to them. That's why we want to plant a community group in every neighborhood, and we want to plant a church in every community in Myrtle Beach so we can reach them, so we can go to where they are, and they can, we can help make Jesus non-ignorable. Why should we want it? I hope you want those things. I hope we make that a, our, purpose, our purposes as a church, our focuses as a church. But the question that I'm sure that you're thinking is, should we even expect that? You're like, those are nice, big dreams. But should we even expect them to happen? Should we even expect those prayers to be answered if we pray them? Well, let me just leave you guys with this. I think we should expect those dreams to happen. We should expect those prayers to be answered if it is a true goal of ours. Jesus told the apostles in Acts chapter 1 that they were called to go You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do we share Jesus' goal for his church? I think we can expect it if we're praying for it. If it's enough goal of ours that we actually pray, God, would you do this in my life and would you do that in this in our church and would you do it in our community? I think we should expect these dreams to happen and the, these prayers to come true if we're actually preparing for the harvest. Is your life built around preparing for the harvest to prepare for God to call his children home and for you to participate with him in his great work? Are you working for it? Do you think about it? Do you work towards it? I think we expect these dreams to come true and these prayers to be answered if we are actually presenting the gospel to others. Remember, that is the power of God for salvation. We see it here. It begins in Acts 2 when Peter gets up and he boldly and clearly proclaims the gospel. 3,000 people come to the Lord. And then day by day they see the Lord add to their number those who are being saved because they are sharing the gospel with others around them. A few uh, 
about a month or so ago, we talked about how uh, let's, let's, let's do three things as a church in order to do that. Let's invite others to church. And then as you invite them to church, if you see an open door, they ask you some questions, then tell them your story. Tell them about who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And then if there's, you see an open door, they're still like asking questions or they're wondering, then share the gospel. Who knows what would happen? Maybe, maybe they come to church and they become believers, but maybe you get to right there, get to speak with them, and you get to come to church and say, like Christian said, say, hey, I have a praise report. I just shared the gospel with my, with my neighbor, Nick, and he came to the Lord this week. I think we can expect these dreams to happen, these prayers to be answered, if we serve a God that wants to do them. And guess what? We do. It's what he does. It's what he's been doing. It's his great work in creation. And we get to participate with him in it. I think these dreams can come true and this prayers, these prayers can be answered if it is God that is adding daily. If it's the Holy Spirit at work in our midst. Can you imagine that kind of church? Can you imagine how exciting that would be? Can you imagine, like, not just when we gather, but whenever you're alone and you're going to work, like, just be anticipating, God, what are you going to do today? What are you going to do this week? And you go to gather a community group and you sit around and all of a sudden it's not full of just prayer requests for my niece's cat, but it's actually prayer requests and praise reports like would you pray for my would you pray for my cousin I want him to come to Christ and the other person my cousin just came to Christ and you're all of a sudden your faith gets built and you pray and then you see your like it just dominoes around us and we have this sense of awe at God's presence and his work in our midst can you imagine a church that the Lord adds to daily and is in awe of his presence let's make that our mission. We can't make that happen, but we can say, God, would you help me to repent of having little faith or having little care about your mission? And God, would you move in power in our midst? Would you help me to share the gospel so that I can see your power at work in the lives around me and in our midst? I can't think of anything, man, there's a lot of things I like in life. That team that wears orange, I like that team. I like it when they win national championship, Dale. Well, there's nothing like that. There's nothing so rewarding to see God move in that way. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.